We are so excited to be here for Maximizing Marriages. We want to start off right from the very beginning and put a slide on the screen for you. Look, we even got our slide working here. Normally, as you're entering into week one, this week is going to be about dealing with the flesh. And normally, prior to your arrival, you would have uh, had a dinner with a pastor or elder who's leading you and their wives and discussed Matthew 19, 4 through 6, as well as Matthew 19, 11 and 12, and Hebrews 13 and 4. Look, let's start there tonight. This is going to, let's all turn to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. Somebody say maximize marriage when you get there. Maximize. That's a good word for marriage, isn't it? Maximize. <laughs> maximize. Matthew 19, 4 through 6 says, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. As we're discussing this passage, we want you to understand that uh, we're trying to lay out an appropriate view of what marriage is. Uh, in our day and time, it's still just as clear. The word of God is as clear as it's ever been. The appropriate view of marriage is that it's one man. Everybody say one man. One, one man. man. And one woman. Say one woman. One woman. In a lifelong and an eternal covenant. When we look at that word, um, to cleave, to unite, it's debak in Hebrew. And that one actually means to super glue to one another. Mm. Isn't that a powerful word? Yeah, I know Miss Jen and I are glued together. <laughs> See, we want you to understand that this is a work of God. And it is a sin to do anything that promotes separation in what God has put together. These are the foundational understanding that we have to start with as we begin to maximize our marriage tonight. Well, let's continue in the foundational understanding and look at verse 11 and 12. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. Ouch. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Oh, what we should learn from this verse is that both marriage and a content single life are gifts from God. Everybody say gifts. 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 Look, both marriage and a content single life should be for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And that this is the principle being laid down in the scripture. Marriage is the primary building block for the advancement of the kingdom. And the content single life must be a life of celibacy without exception. <laughs> oh, did you hear that's, that? That's true. Celibacy without exception. But here's the case. Look, since yeah, it's sad when, uh, <laughs> when single people are having more sex than married people. <laughs> that's, that's a sign of society in, in decline. Oh, it is. It needs repentance and resurrection. But since you guys here are as married couples, you have already made your choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is firm. Yeah, you have. It is cemented. No celibacy for you. Ooh, ah, ah. It ain't going to happen. <laughs> We're enjoying it already. Amen. Look, you guys as married couples, you have accepted the gift of marriage. And therefore, you must not be celibate. Oh. 
Amen. Yes. Yeah. Well, we expected there to be amens yeah. for, for that. Uh, we're going to go to Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and marriage bed should be kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. You know, it's only been in recent times, uh, Supreme Court ruling not long ago that broke with 5,000 years of human history, that this changed. Realize that marriage has been universally honored. Marriage has been kept pure in that sense by pagan and Christian alike, always. Also, this passage says must be kept pure. You don't have to make your marriage pure. It is already pure and must be kept pure. Come on. That's awesome. Violations in these regards, this verse would indicate invite the judgment of God. Yeah. Uh, one of the many reasons that our nation should be repenting. Look, we want to go back over some of these things. And as you enter into week one, normally we've gone over with you. and We've sat through and talked to you about these scriptures, which we just did. You would have already watched Married to a Fool. Anybody remember that sermon? You've probably listened to it many times. Uh, as well as Limp Leadership and Flaccid Marriage from September of 2018. See, you would have listened to those things independently from your spouse. This is not a group effort on that one so that one does all the work and the other gets to just enjoy it like it happened in a lot to me in school. I don't know why that was that case. But you would have also shown up with a new notebook that's dedicated to this topic. Does anybody have your notebook that, that you started with? Oh, man. That's good stuff. You would have shown up to the time with us with the three by five index cards and your Bible, as well as a list of five navel like characteristics and five Abigail like characteristics that you personally successfully identified in your own life. Let us go over the weeks with you here so that you understand what is about to happen tonight. We're dealing with dealing with the flesh, as we've mentioned. Then we move on to marriage symbolism. That you understand the, the principles, the very nature of what God has done. Then we move on to week three with the flow of shalom. That beautiful principle of shalom that gets to be brought out here. In week four, we talk about conflict resolution. And then in week five, we have intimacy through security. Now, we, yeah, yeah, come on, young couple. Uh, the intimacy through security. But we want you to understand that these are each integrated lessons. They're building upon each other. There's a reason that this is done in the order that it's done because you can't just begin to address these topics independently. Please, let us let's sit down, Pastor. Let's talk about conflict resolution. No, what we're going to start with is dealing with your flesh, and we are going to build from there because if you skip one of these, it causes a problem in all of the other ones. Yeah, man, yay for intimacy. Yes, the intimacy is built through security, and that begins with tonight. That begins with dealing with the flesh and we move forward. So all of these lessons are absolutely and amazingly interconnected and integrated. And we want you to have that perspective tonight. Amen. You know what? Here's what we're looking to do. We want to lay out some expectations, lay out some goals for you guys. Have you noticed that there was a, a nicely crafted little card with your family name where you're sitting? Oh, right? That's exciting. Strategically placed at each table. I will let you know we have prayerfully sought the Lord about the placement of where each and every one of you guys are sitting. 
And so we want you to come back each week and sit in the exact same seat at the exact same table so that we have uh, the ability to facilitate larger expectations and goals. Amen. We also want you to bring your notebooks. Everybody has a notebook tonight? Because you're going to take notes. Yeah, that you can keep. Um, there's note cards on the table if you didn't bring a note card, but you'll be required to bring your note card each week. And whatever homework is given, if there's homework given, have that completed when you come. Amen? Amen. In addition to that, yet there's more. <laughs> we need your full participation. Everybody smiling, talking, engaged, participating in every way. And one of the things that's going to help facilitate that is that at each table, the far head of each table, we have assigned group leaders to help facilitate the instruction that's going on. So for instance, Charlie and Joe, Baja and Natalie, Judah and Sash, in these positions, we have placed these guys to help us meet these goals and expectations. Last requirement. Y'all ready for this one? Yep. It's a big one. Bring your Bible, your actual Bible. If you have your Bible, raise it up. Amen. This is Jen's. <laughs> Mine's under the chair. <laughs> Amen. Bring that every week. So this teaching actually begins in 1 Samuel 25. We're all going to turn to 1 Samuel 25. Something that happens to churches through the years is real revelation that comes from a passage and flows out of it can be reduced to talking points. In some ways, that's good because you can refer to a whole passage with a singular word. In other ways, it's somewhat negative because you strip away all of the revelation that brought you that talking point. That's honestly how the denominations got where they are. We want to fix some of that tonight. So we're going to read this whole passage together in a kind of expository fashion. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yep. Amen. So we're going to start in verse 1. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. Now, to let this start to stand out to you, you're probably already aware that the Hebrew word for Nabal means foolish. That's, that, that begins to color this passage differently. And Abigail is a beautiful Hebrew name that means my father's joy or delight. So them being introduced in the beginning of this story starts to clue you into a Hebrew background. It's suggestive of their base nature. Because in Hebrew, your name has to do with function. Which begs an amazing question. What was Nabal's mother thinking? <laughs> right? But just start to think already that if you're reading this in the original language, you would find it somewhat humorous that she married a man named Fool. And that her name 
literally means my father's joy and delight because the whole passage is shaped by the idea that what is the father's joy and delight may be submitting to a fool. We're going to continue in verse 4. It says, While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and meet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were in Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable towards my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Verse 5 begins with something that's very interesting. It says that he sent 10 young men to speak to them. Now, immediately, this should call something to mind. This should begin to draw your attention, draw your thinking towards the Ten Commandments. These ten young men are representing the very and the actual law of God. His love letter to the people is being represented in these ten servants. Yes, and their only intention is to grant long life and blessing to an entire household. This was a festive time. Come on, somebody say festive. Festive. Much like this evening. It's a festive time. The story begins with them addressing a man whose name, as Pastor has already uh, illustrated it to us, his name means fool. And they've come in the name of the anointed king of Israel, whose name means beloved. So we're starting to develop a picture here in what we know as some familiar characters, but you're finding out some very, very deep meanings along the way. Let's pick up in verse 10 and continue to read. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped on his as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. It should be obvious when you're reading this passage that the man whose name means fool, he is actually denying the name of the anointed king of Israel. And he's also denying the ten servants that represent the law that's coming forth from that anointed king of Israel. I think it's interesting that his response, his first response was that um, his thoughts go to servants breaking away from their masters. It's suspicious. This is how he's responding to the law being brought, being spoken to him. And then he also has a personal unwillingness to sacrifice for the right things. Is that how we receive the law when it's presented to us? Is that how we receive the word of God? I don't know. This might cost me too much. I don't know if I want to adhere to it. And that's the first response out of Nabal. Wow. And then look how this passage ends. They hurled insults at him. You know, it closes with the, the, the culmination that every word is being recorded. 
and that the judgment of God will inevitably come upon this man named Fool. Let's pick up in verse 15. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on the donkeys. Look, do you notice how consistently in this typology that the law is being represented? The reputation of the law of God being displayed here is said, it was good. There is no mistreatment in it. Those 10 servants from David treated us well. They did not mistreat us. They were good. More than that, what is coming from David that is represented by the law, catch this, it was a wall of protection around the the man and his family. It's the very reason that his life was receiving blessings, even though he didn't know that was the reason. And Nabal showing contempt for David, the servants, the law meant disaster was hanging over the household. He's the one who's wicked, but the wickedness is endangering his entire household. Yeah, that uh, that's sobering, isn't it? His wicked behavior could cause death to everybody. This is this is what initially started to clue us into what the Lord was speaking to our church through this passage. Catch one other thing. Uh, The end of verse 17 literally says, it explicitly says, no one can talk to him. No one can speak to Nabal. Are you beginning to see how we got revelation into this? However, Abigail, she sees reason and she acts quickly. This was the beginning of our understanding that Nabal represents your sinful nature. And Abigail is that part of you that is quick to listen, that will see reason. Say, nobody, nobody. can talk to Nabal. See, see, we do not want to live as Nabal. Verse 19 says, Then she told her servants, Go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey and into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave him a, leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Church, we want you to notice one of the very first things is that Abigail does not consult with, with Nabal. She doesn't consult. Your spirit has no business consulting with the flesh on any matter. That's good. Judgment was already descending. Nabal's fate is certain, uh, fate is certain were it not for Abigail, who is in a lowly place directly observing the impending judgment. She is literally standing between the living and the dead. 
And sometimes we can take those moments, and when we see that impending doom, we can rise up in fear. And in those moments, the, the fear of the Lord should arise in us and cause us to have a humbleness in our hearts and step back and really see uh, the situation and what the Lord is doing and can do. We want to point out to you something here, and we want to make sure that everyone in the room understands this at this point. David is right in his judgment. He is right to want to bring judgment against Nabal. He is, a, he is looking at this properly. Nabal finds it useless to sacrifice for righteous things. Cassidy and Matt talked to, about, talked to us about that a few minutes ago. The righteous king then describes the useless nature of trying to reform Nabal. It is a useless process to try to reform the sinful nature, to reform that. See, for Nabal, the law of God is rendered ineffective because he does not and will not comply with what the Lord has said. It's just like our sinful nature. It's just like what's going on inside of us. And that is why we are so clear that Nabal must die. Say that with me. Nabal, Nabal must die. die. Man, this is, this is blessing our soul to go through these passages and, and glean what we need to maximize our marriage. Let's continue in verse 23. Miss Cassidy is going to read for us. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. Look, this verse is always interesting to read in the King James Version. But aside from that, I want to show something to you very obvious. You see that Abigail, she is the very first one to greet and begin speaking with David. And then when she does, she is quick to show him honor through the means of humility. She bowed down to the ground before him. You know what this relates to? This relates to the part of you, your spiritual nature, that is always looking to honor the presence of the king through the means of humility, going to the lowest part and willing to do and demonstrate humility wherever it can. Notice her first words that she speaks to David. She says, pardon your servant. This is Abigail's destiny, to be pardoned by God. But is it, is it Nabal that's pardoned by God? No, his destiny is that he must die. Abigail gets pardoned by God. Oh, look, guys, we can't say this enough. Nabal must die. Yeah. Say it again. Nabal, Nabal must die. die. But however, Abigail, like your spiritual nature... Simply did not see the righteous principles in the law. But as soon as she does. Come on, man. Come on. As soon as she recognizes the righteous principles of the law, she takes full responsibility that her entire household could be pardoned by her engagement with King David. Does anybody's spirit in here leap when you realize that you just didn't see something, but as soon as you do... You move towards the king to be yes. pardoned. Yeah. These are what we're sharing with you now are the building blocks that gave us the marriage teaching, how the revelation actually came. We're going to pick up in verse 26. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives 
and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord, because you fight the Lord's battles, and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. Look, you should notice in this passage that Abigail, which is your spiritual nature, she agrees with God that Nabal, the flesh, is the enemy. In reality, she's married to him, but she is agreeing that he is the enemy. She actually says, may your enemies be like Nabal. At the same moment that she's married to the man, she recognizes he's behaving as an enemy of God's will and God's design. And Abigail, your spiritual nature, then brings offerings and affirms the promises of God's word and the surety of the king of Israel's dynasty over her and all of the people. There's a common misunderstanding in this passage. Abigail comes and she says, may all the king's enemies be like the fool that I married. And she literally reaffirms the Davidic covenant several times in this passage. The misunderstanding is it is a mistake to think that David's judgment is wrong here. You've misunderstood the passage if you think that. Nabal does deserve to die. And by the end of the passage, God is going to put him to death. What is wrong is to have needless bloodshed, not waiting on God to do it. David, David is right in his assessment. So God's judgment on the world is just. But Abigail rightly points out that it is needless in this case to shed blood because God's word will be proven right without David having to act. Yeah. See, yeah. she... She asked to be remembered at the end of this passage. She, she says, and when the Lord your God has brought my Lord's success, remember your servant. Yeah. I want you to hear a kingdom principle. She asked to be remembered. And the truth is, she'll never be forgotten. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. In verse 32, it says, David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord of the of the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. Church, you, we want you to understand that Abigail, 
like your spirit in your spiritual nature shows good judgment in accordance with the word of God and does not look for vengeance that belongs, in fact, to the word of God. She's able to walk in shalom because of that very nature. Abigail, like your spiritual nature, comes quickly to the throne of the king to avert certain judgment. She didn't wait on her emotions uh, to get to where she needed to obey. She sought out what was righteous and did that first and then allowed her emotions to catch up at whenever time that was. But she did what was right and she acted quickly. Abigail's gifts are always accepted. Those gifts from your very spiritual nature are accepted. She always receives peace and her request for pardon is granted. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Well, that's good news to know that Abigail's gifts are always accepted. Now, let's look at what continues further in verse 36. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. Wow. Look, Nabal, like your fleshly nature, it both denies the king of Israel and treats himself like a king. Did you hear that? He was holding a banquet like that of a king. Boy, this is a clear indicator of what our sinful nature does. Yeah, it wants to be honored. He's so happy and proud of himself, but he's also drunk, right? Just like your own sinful nature is. The truth is about Nabal is that his heart failed him a long time before his heart wow. actually stopped. Wow. It was always like a stone. Boy, it really was. Look, one, one additional thing we want you to notice. Did you notice how many days later the Lord struck Nabal and he died? How many was it? Ten. Ten. Oh, that's just like the ten servants of David. And that the interaction with them uh, brought forth that judgment is always according to the word of God. Yeah. Wow. The shadow and type is consistent throughout the text. And that's because the Lord is breathing something into our congregation through it. How we relate to the king of Israel and to his servants, the law, says something about which nature we're yielding to. This is why the prophets promised the removal of a heart of stone and the replacement with a heart of flesh. Did you see what Nabal's heart turned to in Hebrew? Stone. Okay, let's pick up in verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord. <laughs> that's, that's an interesting response, isn't it? Yeah. But it's what the heavens say when judgment falls upon the earth. Because God is just in his judgments. Something's wrong when we sympathize with Nabal. That squealer squeals and something in us squeals with him. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and he said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. 
She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant and am ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and, att and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. Look, heaven rejoices when a sinner repents, but heaven celebrates when the wicked are judged. You can see that all through the book of Revelation. Nabal must die, and the world is better when he does. Yeah. Yeah. Nabal and you must die. Your home will be better when it is. The world is better when Nabal is dead. Your marriage is better when Nabal is dead. Your children are better when Nabal is dead. Amen. The king of Israel always marries Abigail. She is the pearl in the field that was purchased. She is the part of you that has died to sin and lives only to the king. Like Abigail, who is symbolic of your spiritual nature, you're always to bow to the will of God. Did you see that her very first action was to bow? Yeah. We're always to wash the feet of the 10 servants that represent the law. It doesn't use the number 10 here, but we know that they're 10 because it's been 10 every other place. Her first reaction at the death of Nabal is to bow before David and offer to wash the feet of the servants that represent the law. Yeah. Abigail always ends up married to the king Amen. of Israel. There's a profound truth in this for you guys, a profound truth for us. Learning from Nabal, learning from Abigail will straighten your life and your marriage out in a hurry. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. That, that deserved a better response than what we got there. These are terms that we're familiar with, but there should be a new depth of your appreciation of what caused the revelation to come. Look, it's no secret that Nabal, he represents your sinful, base, evil, fleshly, human nature, and that is the part of you that must die. Somebody say, Nabal must die. Nabal must die. And it's not just the character in 1 Samuel 25, it's the character that we possess that is the Nabal nature that must die. This is the beginning of you maximizing your marriage in any way. This is the very first step of you finding out exactly what God has for you through your marriage. And Abigail... Everybody say Abigail. Abigail. Abigail represents your godly design. The one that when God birthed you, made you, created you, that is what he spoke into you and wants you to be. And so it says, Abigail represents your godly design, your consecrated soul, the one that is set apart only for his use. The part of you that lives to marry the king. Amen. Amen. Isn't this entire narrative encouraging for us? Uh, it, it helps us get a clear understanding of what's inside of us, this Nabal nature, that's our fleshy nature, this Abigail nature that is our godly design, a consecrated soul, and the part that is married to the king. Well, we want to bring some further light and depth to this as we're going through this. That imagine these guys as like actors, that these same actors, these characters, they've also starred in many other biblical narratives that have taken place. True. In fact, that brings us to our first slide here. Everybody's familiar with this, 
This is the icon for IMDb, right? And everyone goes to it to look for information about what you're going to watch. Well, tonight, it does not represent the Internet Movie Database. We want to give you some further depth and insight to exactly what this means about uh, what we're, we're speaking of. For us, it is the incinerating my devilish behavior. Or identifying my divine behavior. Ooh, the same database can teach you to do both things? It can teach you to do both things because we're having to uh, interact with both things. Look, although Nabal's physical characteristics are not given in the passage, most of you know that because, uh, most of you know that he's uh, ugly because his behavior is ugly. And look, after careful research of incinerating my devilish behavior database here, since the beginning of this ministry, you have helped us, every one of you, identify the actor that plays this character most often. Next slide. Oh yeah, look closely. That is the one and only Danny DeVito. And many times, as we sat with you guys and asked you to imagine what Nabal looks like, I mean, 10 out of 10 have nailed exactly the character that we see here on the screen. Another church recently did this because it was the first time they encountered the material. For you, you've heard it several times. And they asked their people to sketch what they thought of when they heard Nabal. And literally, somebody drew Danny DeVito. <laughs> it's, not, it's not fair to Danny DeVito. I'm sure he's a wonderful little dude. It is, uh, it is emblematic of something. If your mother ever told you not to act ugly uh, or don't be ugly, it's because we know that behavior makes somebody more or less attractive. And Nabal should never be thought of as attractive. And yet in the wrong situation, you can be absolutely in love with Nabal inside of you. Yeah. You can love the way that you stung somebody on a point. You can love the way Nabal looks, but he'll never be attractive to anybody but you. Wow. Nabal must die. Yes, he must die. Well, that brings us to our, our next character. Cassidy's going to describe him. Okay, so we did a careful search of identifying my defined behavior, IMDB. And since the beginning of this ministry, you have helped us to identify this actor who plays this character most often. Abigail. Is this beautiful we, unnamed woman, <laughs> this Jewish we, princess? We right? literally Abigail. found her just by putting Jewish princess yeah. into a computer. When no one in all of the history of our marriage counseling sessions has ever said, oh, she's kind of warty and kind of ugly and frumpy. <laughs> Everyone just describes her as graceful, elegant, full of beauty and strength. Yeah. And this looks now, these actors, right? Uh, They've been seen in many other biblical narratives, probably because their inherent traits are found in the characters that they play. Have you ever noticed that an actor gets stuck in a certain kind of role? So no matter what movie he's in, his character's name might be different, but it's essentially the same. For instance, you see the actor named Nabal show up 
as a cross-dressing queen <laughs> named Vashti, while the actor Abigail shows up in the character of Esther. Yeah. In other words, even though Vashti may have looked beautiful because of the airbrush on the silver screen of her day, her character was essentially the same as Nabal. Unwilling to come to the king, unwilling to submit to God's law, unwilling. Whereas Esther, Esther could just as easily have been played by the actor Abigail. You see the same traits by different names. Yeah. Let us talk to you about another one. You see the actor Nabal in the character of Joab. Somebody who's always running parallel, somebody who always has a personal agenda that is at play while you see the actor of Abigail seen in the character of Ittai. Someone who is always grateful, someone who is quick to respond, someone who is quick to get off of his own uh, uh, personality traits and fall down on his face before the very king of all of Israel. Wow. Look, occasionally, two actors have had the opportunity to play the same character at different stages in the same movie. You have y'all watch movies like that? So the, the actor Nabal, <laughs> so I said Norbit, yes. <laughs> That's not science. <laughs> but in this case of the biblical narrative, the actor Nabal played the character of Levi at Shechem, while the actor Abigail played the character of Levi in his most famous and daring of roles, beginning with his triumph at Mount Sinai. Look, we're being a little tongue-in-cheek here, obviously. But notice something. Levi acts like Nabal when he goes in and kills the citizens of Shechem. But the very same Levi begins to act like the Abigail trait when he uses that sword to show distinction for the Lord at Mount Sinai. What we're doing for you is we're hinting at, of course, we picked Abigail and Nabal because it's where the revelation came to us. But you see this drama played out through all of the scripture, through all time, uh, through the whole biblical narrative. Sometimes the actors, Abigail and Nabal, are even seen in a crowd and are difficult to differentiate uh, because of the crowd. I bet if you look carefully at a movie picture of the five foolish virgins, you would see Nabal in there. If you looked carefully at the five wise virgins who had oil in their lamps, you would see Abigail standing there. These traits are present in every single scenario. And most importantly, we have that God designed a, uh, a heavenly set. It was built by Moses. And these two actors are again front and center in the production. See, Nabal stands at the bronze altar of judgment, the place where things must die. And Abigail stands at the golden altar of incense. See, Nabal must die. And Abigail stands right next to the king, ready to bring about his will in every single moment. Man, isn't that good news that Nabal can die? That Abigail can stand next to the king about the being his will. Here's what we want to do. We want to have a group activity. We're going to take 10 minutes. We're going to have half of you kill the other half. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a movie called Shivam at Shechem. Yes. <laughs> 
All right, so here's the outline of what we want you to do in your group activity. If you haven't been through marriage counseling yet, or, everybody say or. or. If you are not daily using your Abigail and the ball cards, you're going to take this group time to formulate your five Nabal traits and your five Abigail traits. And one thing in particular, we want you to focus on the root behavior when you're developing the five Nabal traits and the five Abigail traits. Does everybody understand that instruction? I have a second one for you. For the rest of us here, you're going to take the time to clarify your five Nabal and five Abigail and add the scripture that helps you to kill your Nabal. Kill each one. Not just identify. Not a scripture that just points to don't do this. But shows you how to crucify that Nabal trait. So, we're going to begin to take 10 minutes right now and have our group activity. Group leaders, you feel free to assist in any way that is necessary. All right, all right. Now, I recognize fully that you may not have all finished. There'll be homework for that. Uh, we, we have great confidence in you. So right now, you're going to want to put away your biblical concordances. You're going to want to stop Googling. You're going to want to do all of that because the thing is, we know that we're going to have to help you further in, in this process. Um, we want to start by demonstrating some things for you, and they will help you get an idea. Before we do that, isn't it a little bit revelatory that a church that has been teaching this since 2004, and every person has supposed to have been dedicated to killing Nabal every single day, every hour of your life, that it hasn't occurred to so many of us? To assign a scripture that helps you put it to death? Isn't that incredible? It's because we often learn a principle and think that having learned it, it's the same as applying it. And it's not. So for the next hundred days, we're going to learn to maximize our marriage. Amen. For the next hundred days, we're going to learn to win in these areas. Uh, can, can I demonstrate it for you? Is that all right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I have a picture that I want to show you. Yeah, that is, uh, that is a very lost version of Eric and Jennifer. Uh, that was 31 years ago. That was our sophomore year in high school. Uh, do you see the death in my eyes? Can you see that? Look past the cowboy hat for a minute. Look, we're going to come back to this picture. It's going to take us a little while to get there. But remember that. Because the truth is, we wear many hats in our lifetime. And that's true of fathers. It's true of mothers. Mamas, do you feel like you're a part-time medic sometimes? A part-time counselor sometimes. 
And then somewhere around week five, you know, you put back on your nurse's hat. Um, I think I better get, I better get to the scripture quickly. Let's, let's read Galatians 6, and we're going to have Jen read verses 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Amen. Okay, so that we understand a scripture that you've heard all of your life, this is clear. If you sow towards Nabal, you will reap destruction. Yeah. If you sow towards Abigail, you will reap eternal life if you do not give up. It could not get any clearer than that. But back to our idea of many hats that we wear. This, uh, this has been a part of my life for a very, very long time. For us, there is a kind of pioneering spirit. In fact, I would say that that's true in every genuine husband. You're built to lead. You are, are built for some kind of godly conquest in your life. We might refer to that as cowboy. The other thing that you must learn to do is take that off, and you have to put on your Asian disease mask. I'm kidding. You have to put on your welder's hat. And the reason that you do is sometimes your marriage needs a new fusion. You have to reattach things that are broken. Now, on the inside of my welder's mask, I have my own Nabal traits. These will be at your table next week as a little reminder. On the outside, I have my spouse's Abigail traits, okay? There's a very good reason for that. You should never emphasize your navel traits to anybody. You're trying to kill them, not bring, breathe life to them. Yeah. But they are to ever be before your eyes so that you are constantly putting them to death. Also, the only thing you want anyone else to see about your spouse ever are their Abigail traits, yeah. period. Amen. Now, what I want to do is pretend that we are welding our marriage back together. And uh, you could probably do that many times a day. I'm going to show you since 2004 what my navel traits have been. Could we put those on the screen? Insatiable. Aggressive. Stubborn. Indifferent. Skeptical. Now... I'm going to work through with you something that I've never shared with anybody other than the two men at this table. My wife hears me praying through it sometimes, but she usually interrupts and tries to redefine it for me because this is not how she sees me and it's not how you should see your spouse, but what it, it's what I know to be true in me. I'm going to read you literally what has been written in my OneNote and what I am working on. Are you ready for it? Because this was a part of your homework. I crucify, leave those up on the screen the whole time, okay? I crucify my fleshly, insatiable nature that always wants more and is never satisfied. 
I will no longer live as an ungrateful man. That's the statement that comes out of my mouth several times a day in prayer. But that's not enough. You don't put to death your navel nature with simply a denial or a declaration. I also read to myself Psalm 16, verses 5 through 7. And I'm, I'm just going to read it to you. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. At night, my heart instructs me. Do you hear how that verse and focusing on that verse might cure, kill, circumcise away, Nabal? I can't very well be both things at one time. I, I am working towards that. That's what you're doing with your scriptural exhortation to yourself. I'm not looking for a passage that says to be insatiable or ungrateful is wrong. We already know that. We're looking for what should replace it, how you grow out of it. It's not enough to know yourself. You're going to have to kill that self and put on a new self. Second, I crucify my fleshly aggression that sees more force as the solution to everything. I will no longer lean upon my own arm. For this one, I read Proverbs 29, 22. An angry person stirs up conflict and a hot-tempered man commits many sins. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. This is because I recognize that my fleshly aggression is actually driven from pride. And I know that, and I want to kill that. And there's an admonition in it that if I will lower myself, the Lord will raise the situation. Can you all hear that? Yes. This is what we want you to do in your homework. My third one. I crucify my sinful stubbornness. That, that is that it does not depend or yield to the possibility that the spirit is working in a way that I do not yet see, especially in the suggestions of others. I will not think of myself more highly than I ought. See, it's not just that my base nature is stubborn. It manifests very specifically. Whatever thought occurred to me must be the right thought, and everyone else's thoughts are invalid. For that, it's the entire chapter of Romans 2 for me, but I'm only going to read you a select portion of it, okay? I, it's chapter 2, verse 5. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow, uh, and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, first for Eric in this case, my application, and then for the Gentile. 
but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. First for Eric, and then for the Gentile, the other person. For God does not show favoritism. Because in this passage, I see I have the very same problem that the early church was experiencing in Judaism. I genuinely am stubborn enough to think that I know better than everyone else. That has to die. This passage helps me do that. There is no favoritism. God, by his spirit, will lead men to do even what they don't understand is the right thing to do. Do you all see that? Fourth, I circumcise away indifference and callousness towards people that are sinning. I will not protect myself. I will gain God's thoughts. See, my specific problem is that it hurts my feelings when people do things that are bad. So I start to be indifferent towards them to protect my own heart. You know what happens? That makes me very much like them, hard-hearted. So Psalm 119.68 speaks to me on this, and I recite it to myself often. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. Do you hear the switch there? I don't want to become the thing that I hate by protecting myself from the thing that I hate. 71, it was good for me to be afflicted. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of gold and silver. Do you see how that is leading me out of indifference? Okay. This is what you're going to find yourself doing. My fifth one. I circumcise away the criticisms and judgments towards others. The skeptical nature. I will not be faithless towards God's working in other people. For this, I simply put Romans 14.4. I can quote it off the top of my head, but it's taking me a lifetime to implement it. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Yeah. See, I can't read that and believe it and still be skeptical towards other people. So this is a daily practice for me. We want you to find yours. But that's not the only daily practice. When I put on my welder hat, I see my navel traits. I have to put this on and refuse, reconnect. But when I do this, it allows me to lift the hat and see my spouse as she is designed by God. Could we put uh, Jennifer's Abigail traits? I literally, this is my handwriting from 2004 uh, when I could see without glasses. <laughs> I then look at my wife and say, Jennifer, I love that you're compassionate. Psalm 112 verses 4 through 5 shape my thoughts about you. Even in the darkest light, even in darkness, light dawns for the upright. For those who are gracious and compassionate and righteous, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. I then look her in the eye. And say, Jennifer, even in the darkest situations, you see the heart of the Lord. You flow with his compassion generously, freely. You act justly. He is compassionate, so you 
are compassionate. See, it's not just my job to put to death my insatiable nature. It is equally my job to build, affirm the design that God gave my wife, which is even in dark situations to show godly compassion. See, that's important, don't you think? Secondly, hard work. Acts 20, 35 through 36. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. When Paul had finished saying these things, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Jennifer, like Paul, you demonstrate through your hard work that the Lord is concerned for the weak. And your life proves The truth of the statement, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Even when the labor is done, you pray and labor in prayer for others. Now, you can look at the people at the table around you or you can stare at my wife. It won't make any difference. There's nobody in the world that's not blessed by reinforcing the godly design. This kind of welding strengthens the marriage structure. It has to be done. Part of your marriage homework is definitely going to be learning the scriptural stone for you that puts to death a navel trait. But the other half of your homework has got to be how to re-weld the design of your connection between your spouse and your God. Three, peacemaking speech. I read to her Isaiah 50 verses 4 through 7. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. To know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. Wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned back. I offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore I set my face like flint. And I know I will not be put to shame. I look my wife in the eye and I say, Jennifer, I love that there is no rebellion in you. You offered yourself to those who would insult you. And you have always had the God-breathed speech that sustains the weary, just like Isaiah does. You literally make peace through the use of your words because your words come from him. Jennifer, I know you and you will never be disgraced. Ladies, you want to hear that from your husband. Husbands, you want to hear that from your wife. And it's been your duty since the day you got married. We're just awakening to our duty. My wife's fourth Abigail trait is that she is a worshiper. This one often brings tears to my eyes, and I'm just going to do my best to share it with you in a somewhat familial but academic setting. It comes from Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens. The earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Jennifer, I love that your response to the eternal gospel 
has been a life of worship that displays your reverential fear for him. I watch you give him glory. He has literally made you a spring of water for the souls of others. See, this is building her design. It's not a show for you. You are hearing our private speech because we want you to learn to do it. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't have any more time in a day you do than you do. I just know how important it is. Her fifth one, she is spiritually brave. This comes from 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. <laughs> Jennifer... One of my favorite features of your godly design is the display of holy bravery in sobering situations. You understand the heart of your God. And I watch you day after day bravely set out to do that which is holy. Now, tell me the truth. If you're working at destroying your naval traits, not admitting to them, not acknowledging them, not confessing them, destroying them. And you are completely committed, as we are, to rewelding your union with each other and with the Lord, to strengthening that structure. Did you know that a weld can be stronger than the fracture that, yeah. that it had to be fixed? Yeah. I got to tell you, this is how we have become the people that we are. This is our daily practice and you could probably tell if we skipped a day you wouldn't know why but we don't feel the same something seems wrong it's every time you've ever asked me like is everything okay and i'm like go away i don't want to talk to you <laughs> okay this is what you should be working at for your homework we're going to take that further for you okay are y'all learning something yes. okay somebody say thank you pastors that vulnerability that you just saw, that example, what you should feel in the room is that you just witnessed a holy moment. You, you just witnessed something that is a special moment as an example for you. I'm sitting here knowing exactly what we're intending to do, and I can feel God's presence upon me as Eric is encouraging his wife. I'm looking at that and saying, man, this is an incredible example. We should seriously consider what we just saw. You should begin to then think about the personal application of what you just saw. Uh, let's all turn to Galatians 5. I want you to understand exactly how contrary these natures are inside of you. This Nabal nature inside of you as opposed and in contrast to this Abigail. Let's take a look at Galatians 5. We're going to look at verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedoms to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Did you hear in that passage how the two natures are set? And the Bible just makes it clear. These are contrary to each other. These two things cannot be happening at the same time in the same space. Look, one of the things that stood out to me was the fact that it says, if you bite and devour each other. All right. Y'all have been sitting and watching a beautiful holy moment on the other side of this table. Let's talk about biting and devouring each other just for a second. Not nibbling. Biting. That's, that's later on. We get to, to do that. But what now, we're talking about when you're both operating as Nabal. When you're both, when, pardon the, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. When your balls are showing. Okay. How is that not an exact representation of biting and devouring each other? Watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. The very people who are closest to your heart are the very ones that are cutting your heart the most when you're operating like Nabal. Is that true or not? Man, what a perfect example of the scripture. It actually reminds me of Deuteronomy 28. It says, the most gentle and sensitive woman among you, so sensitive and gentle that she would not venture to touch the ground with the sole of her foot, will begrudge the husband she loves and her own son or daughter the afterbirth from her womb and the children she bears. For in dire need, she intends to eat them secretly. You're hearing the, 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 the reference in Deuteronomy of people who have given themselves over to the Nabal trait only. We're talking about it in a figurative sense, but it can get so bad that it literally became an actual act of cannibalism. We See, call that nabalism. Nabalism. See, this is what goes on, but we want to talk to you about this contrary nature, that these contrary natures that we have inside of us. Uh, if you'll put up the slide here. Yeah, the actual slide. There you go. Yeah, see, I want you to understand that these are mind-to-ball traits. You can read them right there. They're as plain as the nose on my face. Number one, I actually had it for the longest time, and I have, I have a, a version of it here in my pocket that said, I lack confidence. But I put a single line through that, and I realized that it was just me being a coward. Lack of confidence was actually a way for me to show my cowardice while writing down my nabaltery. I didn't want to say something that was that violent, that was that distasteful, that was that showing the clarity of what Nabal is. And then I can become amazingly self-reliant because I don't want you to see that I'm really afraid of what's going on. I'll just do it all by myself, <laughs> right? The, uh, another Nabal trait that I have is that I'm a people pleaser. I want affirmation. I want your affection. I want your applause. I want everything that I can get. Please tell me that I'm pretty now. No, not that part, but please, please affirm me in every way. Then there's a passive timid apathy that I have that I possess that is pretty just awful. It's wretched. And I can become indifferent. After all of those things, if I've tried those things and you just won't respond, then internally I can be like, well, then you're on your own, big guy. This is at 
this is Nabal nature inside of me, and it is obvious, it is plain, and it's contrary to what God has actually made me. Let's just look across here. If I'm looking at the Abigail traits, and I had to ask my wife for these, tell me. She is faithful to tell me. I'm just not always faithful to listen to them. I can list my Nabal traits very, very quickly, very confidently. I have scriptures that are attached. I could have done the same thing that learning from Pastor Eric. I have the exact same type of thing for these Nabal traits for me. But I had to ask my wife, tell me, baby. I know you tell me every day. Tell me again. I need to write them down now. But look at this. The first one is integrity. Cowardice is saying that I'm afraid and I will not respond to what I know is right. Integrity says it doesn't matter. There's a contrary nature. See, the Nabal, the cowardice in me has to die. And the way that that is going to die is that Abigail comes alive in me. I'm a walk as a man of integrity. Man, that self-reliant, that part of me, that Nabal nature that has to die, the contrary nature is that I, I am able to tap into the heavens and to tap into the wisdom around me. I don't need to do it by myself. I don't want to do it by myself. I want to find what true wisdom is. Do you see how those are exactly contrary to each other? Number three is maybe one of the most clear uh, illustrations of it. I desire to be a people pleaser. But look what that is supposed to be. The contrary nature on that is I'm not trying to please people. I'm trying to serve people. I'm trying to watch them grow. I'm trying to help them. It's not about what I can get from someone. It's about what's going on in your life. See, those are contrary. The Nabal has to die. Think about apathy. I don't know that a more contrary word from apathy can be than other than diligent. They are contrary natures. Nabal must die and Abigail must live. And then I become indifferent. I don't actually care what state that someone gets in. That is contrary to what God has actually made me, which is to be a bringer of shalom, to make sure that your life is in order, to make sure that my life is in order, and is the opposite. It is contrary to what is happening in an indifferent way. By the way, you guys know that two things cannot occupy the same space at the same time. You, you can't have two pieces of matter occupying the this, this same space at the same time. The actual term for that is called a poly principle. So for, for in this church, we'll just call it a, a poly principle. The, the, hey, 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 oh. We will learn that it is exactly what we see throughout the scripture as modeled by Paul, the apostle Paul himself. See, that Nabal nature has to die inside of us and that Abigail must come to life. Amen. And I'm going to share with you guys my Nabal traits as well, because whenever you, you can look at them for one person, but when you start inspecting your own, uh, it, it's kind of revelatory. So for me, my number one is selfish. I like my own way. That's what I like. And it looks like decisions I make during the day, uh, things like that. I have to stop in those moments and die to that selfish nature. Uh, lazy. Choosing comfort before anything else. That must be put to death in me. Fearful. Having that fear filter on everything uh, distorts every decision you're ever going to make. That's one thing the Lord has really shown me is in that moment of fear. If fear is the filter, if you will, like that mask that comes down, then every decision I make will be wrong. Stubborn and prideful. It's the opposite of meek and humble for me, and that's where I want to be. Hating correction. 
we did a whole series on why Christy Sutherland hates correction. <laughs> 2018, there you go. Yeah. And this is what I am learning to die to. And because I want to crave the wisdom and advice of, of where the Lord has put me. These are contrary. These are contrary. And whenever, the, whenever I'm acting selfish, I need to die to that and be loyal. An outward focused looking for the best in other people and standing beside them shoulder to shoulder. Um, instead of being lazy, I need to be focused outward again and being joyful and ready to serve with a joyful, because joy is my strength, instead of being lazy. Uh, instead of being fearful, <laughs> that is op totally opposite, right? Fearful uh, and then being boldly faithful. Stepping into a moment instead of being scared of something, going, no, Jesus is with me. And the opposite of this is going to be a moment that I will be boldly faithful for my king. Stubborn and prideful. That is something that says I like my own way, my own thoughts, the way I think about things. Instead of seeking after the Lord and finding his heart on it and being compassionate and not being sympathetic, but being compassionate for the things of the Lord. Hating correction. That is something that says, I know my own way. Don't tell me what to do. I'm stuck in my own ways. Instead of being discerning and searching the heart of God and finding his thoughts and going after it and speaking, those things are discerning. And you can tell whenever we do a lot of counseling, sometimes people are really obvious. Their Nabal traits are all selfish. They're all inward focused. And soon as they make that turn and that contrary state of pivoting and focusing outward and focusing on the Lord, you can see all those beautiful traits come out, all those Abigail, all those spirit-led traits come alive. And that's where we want to be. I like there it. are a couple other things that Pastor uh, Sutherland is going to share with us. I mean, there are some really good things that we're getting to. There's something that would be very easy for you to forget and for those watching the video to forget. Of course, you can, you can look at something that um, says fearful and see that boldness is, is the opposite. But don't forget when we made these lists, we didn't know what they were for. The way that the lists were made was write down the five ways that you are fleshly. Think through it and write them down and write down the five ways that your spiritual nature shows up on its best day. We discovered that they were near opposites of each other. Yes. It was a revelation to us that what the scripture actually says we had just demonstrated the first time we wrote them on a board. We realized that what Galatians says is true. Yeah. We didn't set out to do that. It was a part of the process that proved to us that God was designing the finest marriage counseling there had ever Amen. been. See, this church has been teaching this since 2004. The Sutherlands became part of this church in 2014. And what we found out was this is in, it, it just incredible and it's changed and transformed our life. Actually, Christy didn't mention it, but I love her little writing at the top right corner of the Nabal traits. Says, you got to starve them out. Says, kill them. Says that they must die. I was like, yes. 
she, she's, getting, she's getting it. Look, let's, let's quickly move on to the next slide. What happens when my Nabal traits meet up with Christie's Nabal traits? When Mr. Cowardly meets up with Miss Selfish? What kind of vacuum of leadership does that create in a home? I'm afraid that she's going to get upset, so I'm just not going to say anything. Let's just let it be. Well, that only feeds both of those in a negative sense. What about when Mr. Self-Reliant meets Miss Lazy? Fine, I'll just do it myself. Yeah. You go right ahead and do it yourself. That's not a conversation that has happened. Yeah, that's... <laughs> not that that's happened many times in our life. Look, when Mr. People Pleaser meets up with Miss Fearful... Look, these, these type of things are the only possible solution when you see these things is that it's producing death inside of us. We are devouring each other. We're destroying each other. It goes, goes along. Mr. Apathetic meets up with Miss Stubborn and Miss Prideful. I promise you that is, there is never a time when that happens that this is going to work out well. Mr. Indifferent meets up with Miss Hating Correction. Why do you think it took so long for the Sutherland family to fix this? Because it was our Nabal traits being on display. And it was bringing death to our marriage even while we were talking about life. This is the only outcome that can come when Nabal and Nabal meet each other. Is, is death. That's the only thing that gets produced. Would you all like to see that fracture rewelded? Yeah. Yes. Would you all like to see it stronger than it ever would? Yes. Amen. Okay, this is how we maximize our marriage. Right. This is a successful Sutherland marriage <laughs> is when our Abigails meet. So when Mr. Integrity joins Miss Loyal, they can I like that. Right. Uh -huh. They they can produce a character in our family that God can build on. Right. So when wisdom meets with joyful, that can bring healing counsel to anyone that we come in contact oh, with. Amen. Yeah. When a shepherd's heart, which he love, has and I love, uh, meets with Miss Boldly Faithful, that combo can pastor our home well as well as yours. Diligent meeting compassionate. That's a couple that can feel God's heart and accomplish much for the kingdom of God. The bringer of shalom and discerning, the powerful combo there. God, those God-given traits together can bring true peace, true order in, in the places around us. This is a marriage that I want to be a part of. This is something that I want to see cultivated in our lives. This is yeah, maximized. This is something that I want to fight for every day by killing those Nabal traits. When I kill those Nabal traits and live and feed on those things, uh, the Abigail traits, this is the kind of marriage I can be a part of. So you guys are somewhat familiar with these. Clearly, we've been talking about them for a long time. We're showing you their real-life practical application that built our lives and built this church because they work. They do. We didn't set out to show that... Mr. This meets Mrs. That, and it works. This was a revelation as we began to put them on a board. We realized that we either had death in us at work or life in us, and whichever we fed more, it showed up in our marriage. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. 
So we're not doing a chalkboard. We're not showing you those things like we've done in almost every home in here because you've seen it before. We wanted to find some new ways to demonstrate this for you. And Pastor Matthew's going to walk you through something new. Yeah. So what we want to bring you to is the understanding of when you crucify your Nabal nature, you then consecrate to your Abigail nature. So we want to read Romans 8, 5 through 14 in a way that is demonstrating the relationship between Nabal and Abigail and how we move from crucifying to consecrating. All right. Those who live according to Nabal have their minds set on what Nabal desires. But those who live in accordance with Abigail have their minds set on what Abigail desires. The mind governed by Nabal is death, but the mind governed by Abigail is life and peace. I like that. The mind governed by Nabal is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of Nabal cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of Nabal, but are in the realm of Abigail, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to Nabal to live according to it. For if you live according to Nabal, you will die and your marriage will die. But if by Abigail you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, we're going to go through another demonstration here, and we're going to have a break at some point very soon where you get to do some things. I want you to understand so you don't get the wrong idea. We are letting you in on an inner thought here. We do not confess to the world and walk around showing our navel traits to everybody. And the reason we don't is we don't want to bring life into them. We're trying yeah. to kill them. We do not trade uh, naval traits with each other. Oh, yeah, well, you're naval like this, and you're naval. We, we don't weaponize them. What we do is we speak Abigail into the other person. For that reason, I don't know what my wife's naval traits are. That's why we had to put it on a computer screen. We don't talk about them. That doesn't define us. She's sitting here squeezing my leg while I'm reading you mine because that's not how she sees me. So we want to show you what that might look like as Matthew and Cassidy crucify to consecrate. Amen. Let's pull this next slide here. It's Matthew's uh, crucified to consecrate it. So that's not the right slide. Nope, nope, nope. Not that one. There we go. Amen. Yeah. You know, I, I couldn't let my brothers uh, show you just their nabals. I had to show you my nabals, too. <laughs> so when we're looking at this, there are those moments when I look and I go, I hate that I am still fearful and full of cowardice. 
No, you are not. You are bold and confident. You know who you are and you know who you belong to. That's been crucified and you are born again and consecrated to Abigail. Whew, that's powerful. There's those moments when I, I say, I hate that I am still double-minded. No, I don't see you as double-minded. I see you as full of wisdom. That nature has been crucified and you've been mm. born again and consecrated to Abigail. I hate that I am still full of being paralyzed. No way. You're a discerning man of God. That nature has been crucified and you are consecrated to Abigail. Come on. I hate that I'm still defensive. You're a peacemaker. That nature has been crucified and you are consecrated and reborn as Abigail. Mm. I hate that I'm still self-sufficient. You are an inspiration and your joy leads me every day. That nature has been crucified and you are reborn as Abigail. Look, I can tell you sitting here, listening to my wife say these things to me right now. It's maximizing my marriage. <laughs> I am being filled with confidence in the man of God and the Abigail trace that the Lord has made me to be. Let's continue on. Let's put the next slide. Oh, yay. This is mine. <laughs> oh, okay, so these are my inner thoughts. I hate that I am prideful and I don't acknowledge my own sin. No, you are loving, my dear. That trait has been crucified and you have been consecrated, reborn as Abigail. Amen. <laughs> I hate that I still fight with fear and that I'm controlling and stubborn because of it. No, you are sacrificial. That trait has been crucified and you have been consecrated, reborn as an Abigail. I hate that I am jealous and feel entitled to things. No, ma'am. You are discerning. That trait has been crucified and you have been consecrated, reborn as Abigail. <laughs> I hate the offended and unforgiving stone that's in my heart. Mm. No, my love, you are obedient. That trait has been crucified. You have been consecrated, reborn as Abigail. I hate that I avoid difficulty. No, no, no. You are brave. <laughs> that trait has been crucified, and you have been consecrated, reborn as Abigail. <laughs> are you all kind of getting that? Look, I want you to understand something. You are not going to go home, though. And say your navel trait and wait for your spouse to respond. That is not what this that is not what this exercise is about. What this exercise is about is at any time you see your spouse identifying in any way with their navel trait, do not agree with them. Come on. Amen. Redefine it for them. There's a reason for that. Okay, and we're gonna move towards that. But I, I couldn't do that without letting you in on the Stevens conversation. So I hate my number one uh, navel trait is I'm judgmental. That's the wrong slide. There, there you go. go. There That's go. it. Uh, she says she's judgmental. I say no. No, you're not. I don't like that speech. That's not who you are. You have crucified that judgmental thing. You have consecrated yourself and been reborn as a compassionate woman. Don't talk about my wife that way. Come on. Get it. <laughs> I'm despairing of things. You are not despairing. 
despairing people sit around and don't do anything. You are working for the king every day. You have crucified that nature. You know what you are? You are devoted, consecrated to the kingdom of God. You have been reborn as a hard worker. <laughs> I'm argumentative. I don't believe it. <laughs> you have crucified your argumentative nature. You have consecrated yourself. So what was argumentative is now peacemaking speech. You have been reborn. Amen. I'm stubborn though, and I won't let go of things. You are not stubborn. You are a worshiper of the living God. Stubborn will not submit to God. The very act of worship in your life is that you're completely submitted to him. You have crucified that nature. You are consecrated to him. You have been reborn as Abigail. I am fearful. You are not fearful. That nature died. You have become consecrated advocate. You are the bravest spiritual warrior I know. Stop saying that. Stop thinking that. In the name of Jesus, we're going higher. Amen. Now, <laughs> I am built to do that for her. And husbands, you're built to do that for your wife. And if you're not, get out your welding gear. Amen. What I don't do, what I don't notice, is that I also dwell in things that are supposed to be dead and counted dead. I hate that I'm insatiable. No, you're not. I even hated with earlier when you were listing your things. You are not. You're tenacious. I love that uh, you would never be dissuaded. You're like Paul. When the Lord gives you something in Acts 21 and it says he could not be dissuaded, that is you. The Lord gives you something, you're tenacious, and you're never, ever going to let up from it. I hate that I'm an aggressive man. But I love that you are passionate. You are not aggressive. You're passionate. You are deeply moved by the things of God. No, what's wrong with me? I'm a stubborn human being. No, you're not. You're spiritually discerning. The Lord speaks to you and he reveals mysteries to you and he gives you the words that you need. That is not who you are. You have deep convictions and you wait for the Lord to speak. After all of these years, I'm still indifferent. No, you're not. You don't hesitate. You're just like Peter. You've got to move exactly when the Lord tells you to move and, to, and no other time. You're just, you're waiting for him. But when he tells you, you go for it all the way. What's wrong with me? I'm a broken, skeptical man. I'm no, failing. No, you're not. You're my loving and generous husband that I adore, that you always pay the full price. See, the thing is, these principles built us into who we are. They built our marriage and had a large part in building the house you're sitting in. That's why they show up in so many things that we do, but that's not where they started. They started in our very personal walk with the Lord, trying to get this right. When we say crucify and consecrate, I want you to understand something before we move much further. If a man is aggressive and you tell him not to be aggressive, you're making a huge mistake. 
And you're making a mistake because it's his application of that behavior that must die, but his design is actually from God. So look at these in my life. When I do this wrong, I'm insatiable. When I do it right, it's simply tenacious for the kingdom. They are opposites, but they are opposites of the very same coin. I am aggressive when I am sinning, but I am passionate when I am righteous. I am stubborn when I'm sinning, but I am spiritually discerning when I'm righteous. They're both inner thoughts and feelings. I am indifferent when I'm sinning, but I have no hesitation to act for the benefit of others and following the spirit when it's consecrated. I am skeptical when I'm sinning, but when that is crucified and I'm consecrated, it shows up in full price, generous love. Now, we didn't work to create that system. All that happened is one day reading 1 Samuel 25, we sat down and wrote out the ways in which I saw fleshly characteristics in me and the ways in which on my very best day, I saw spiritual traits. She did the same thing. We put them on a board and the rest grew from there. We didn't gerrymander these lists. Do you remember that we talked to you a little bit earlier about hats? Let's, uh, let's go to that next picture. Well, this was us today. And um, the reason that I am pointing to that is it's not the hat that needs to change. It's the man wearing the hat that has to be crucified so that he can be consecrated and reborn into his design. If you're sitting around thinking, if you're contemplative, and that shows up in sinful ways because you don't get done some things, you don't stop being contemplative when you crucify it. Your design is to be contemplative. You simply crucify the behavior that results from that that is sinful, and you consecrate it. If you're thinking there's going to be a whole new you, you have misunderstood the scripture. It is always, when I was lost, I was still all of those things that were on the left side, insatiable, uh, aggressive, all of those things. When I became saved, they were crucified and that design was refocused. Does that make sense? You tell somebody who is thinking critically in a bad way, hey, stop that. Was he supposed to stop thinking deeply about things? Of course not. He's supposed to stop thinking critically sinfully he takes that same critical thought and turns it towards edification of others nabal must die but nabal and abigail actually live in the same human being and you do not die the sinful behavior dies you become consecrated only to its abigail expression okay i hope that puts you a leap forward You do not have to change your hat. You have to change the man wearing the hat. I just want to encourage y'all too, even in in seeing this with us. um, I was very shy, very introverted type person. And my husband speaking those Abigail traits into me, it's still at times, it makes me kind of 
inwardly kind of curl up like, I don't think I'm any of those things at times, and yet I know that Jesus gives me the power and the confidence by his spirit to do that and to be that person. And it, those words being spoken are so powerful. And even the words that I'm speaking to my husband where I don't believe he is those navel traits at all. I feel like he is the Abigail things. I'm speaking life into him, but it's also breathing life into me speaking about him because I know who he's called to be in Christ. And so I really just want to encourage y'all with that. These, these things are powerful. It's not something simple to just put on a note card and put in your Bible. It breathes life. You see life produced over and over and over. The more that you are speaking life to someone else and then hearing it, it encourages you in such a way that completely defeats the enemy in your life and in your marriage. Look, there's another passage that Pastor Wade's going to read to you, and we're going to do another grip activity. Your issue is not that you haven't known any of these things. It's that in knowing them, you got a temporary high. You were excited about a revelation that somebody else spoon-fed you. You were benefited by it, and then your practice faded off in it. And some of you, it shows in incredible ways. Listen, we are going to be held accountable for these things. When we are driving to churches, when we, we pray through the tabernacle, we do this and we do our love language. If you don't believe me, come travel with me sometime. You'll get sick of hearing it. It goes on every day, which is why the Lord uses the couples on this stage to bring earth-shaking revelation, okay? It's not that our design is just different or better or any. It's that we're actually embracing it and working at it. This year, you will maximize your marriage in the same way, and it will show up in productivity rather than internal strife and warfare and shame. Okay? We are going to win. You're a huge head start because you've been familiar with these things for a long time. You're also... Uh, in a place of indebtedness because you have known these things a long time. This is the year they become a daily part Amen. of our lives. Amen. This is by definition how you're going to maximize your marriage. What you've heard from Eric and Jen, what you've heard from Matt and Cass, what you've heard from us tonight is just showing you that it's not only a harvest of speech like Proverbs 18 speaks about, but it is a harvest of your actual daily disciplines in this category. To understand that you're going to crucify those Nabal traits and consecrate those behaviors and get to Abigail, that should be life-changing even on things that you already know about. See, Ephesians 4 tells us this. It says in verse 22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life <laughs> to put off your old self, to put off those Nabal nature, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desire. Somebody say deceitful. deceitful. It's deceitful because you can keep falling back into it and not really realize that you're there to be made new in the attitude of your mind. Anybody in this house need to have a new attitude in your mind tonight and to put on the new self. You put off the old self. You put off Nabal. You put on Abigail because it was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what we are more than just espousing. This is what we are putting our every effort into living every single day. And that's what we're putting before you. Look, we want to take a moment and move to a group activity just for a few moments. 
Now again, your Nabal traits are something that you keep personally. But we're going to have you do an exercise much like what we did so you can practice your response when you hear your spouse begin to speak this. Does everybody understand? You're not going to be speaking your Nabal traits to other people. That is for you to deal with that and crucify that Nabal nature in you. You're not even going to speak them to your spouse after this. This is like shadow boxing. We are literally going to throw you a softball so that you can learn to hit it out of the park. So Tara is going to pretend as if she had just muttered an enable trait. Nolan is then going to look at her and say, no, you have crucified that. You have consecrated yourself. And then he is going to name her Abigail trait. It will not be the practice in this church or any church for us to go around naming Nabal traits. We do not want you. What we're trying to do is teach you by throwing you a softball how to speak and emphasize your spouse's Abigail trait. That's the point of the exercise. Could we take seven minutes and everybody do that? Amen. All right, so everybody turn to 1 John. We'll go to chapter 1 and verse 5. Say maximizing marriage whenever you guys get there. Maximize. Maximizing marriage. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. This scripture in 1 John has been an anchor for us to understand the relationships that are in our life and how they function. We want to give you a visual display of what this scripture is speaking about. Let's pull up the next slide. This is a, a reticle where at the top we have God. Below we have man, husband on the left, and wife on the right. We want you to understand if you walk rightly with God, you have fellowship with one another. There's a vertical and there's a horizontal relationship. And the understanding is that if you're not walking rightly with each other in that horizontal relationship, you're off target and it's clear that you're not walking rightly with God either. This is a key for me because I know that if I'm having consistent issues with Matt or with my children or with my friends or anyone, I, it's a key to me to let me know that there's something broken between me and God. You think it's about this, but it's really something is broken here. Does that make sense? When this revelation first came to us, I saw it as the crucifix. I, I saw it as getting your relationship right with God fixed humanity. And the more that I have uh, spent time in Texas, I actually see it as zeroing in the scope now. Amen. Uh, if you're not a hunter or that's not your thing or you're watching this from somewhere where you're sadly not allowed to own guns, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> understanding the relationship between these things allows you to hit the right target. If you're off target, 
it shows you how to zero the scope. And I know I'm picking a Texas analogy here, but when you zero a scope, you start with elevation because it's the easiest to do. Is my relationship with the Lord right? And then you adjust windage. You can't really start the other way. It all starts with, is my relationship with the Lord right? And here is the secret. If it's not right with your own spouse, then it's not right with God. Yes. Period. Go back to the Lord, get your elevation right, and he will help you get the windage right in your marriage. Once you have done that, what you'll do is you'll find Nabal is no longer speaking to Nabal. At least one of you has shown up as Abigail, and it begins to fix the scenario. Yeah. This, is a, this is a principle to live by. Church, this is a principle that the entirety of the Word of God speaks to. For, consider Genesis 3, when man falls, when there's sin that enters in, when the, the application of Nabal is first seen. The very next chapter, you get the first murder when you have Cain killing Abel. This is what happens. This, you begin to bite and devour each other when you're not in right alignment. That understanding of this principle is one of the many things that being here at this church has changed our life. Before, we didn't notice. I just thought it was an issue between Christy and I, and I realized that it was an issue between me and God. Man, that changes everything about how, how you engage with what's going on. Church, we are uh, excited about the idea of maximizing your marriage, maximizing the marriages in this church. We have three things that we want to we present to you right now in closing. Three things. Are you ready? One, I'm going to give you your homework. Two, we're going to pray. But before we pray, we have another special thing that we want to do. Look, normally when we are doing marriage counseling, when we're going through these, you would listen to sermons as part of your homework. Uh, but because of your familiarity with these, these sermons, we want to implement, we want you to take time this week and implement a new depth and execution and Abigail and your Nabal traits. Does anybody still have some work that needs to be done on your Abigail and Nabal? Does anybody have a lot of work that you need to do in the implementation and the actual carrying out of yes. Abigail and Nabal? Yes. That is your homework. You felt in just a few moments of the exercise tonight, you felt it. You felt that, that harvest of your speech. You felt that it, the power of life and death is in the tongue and those who love it eat of its fruit. You got a little taste of the fruit here and everybody's face in the room was smiling. Everybody, the whole attitude of the room just shifted and it felt more joyful. You must be doing that every single day with your spouse. If you're, if you're going to be like the Southerns, you'll do it in the morning and in the evening because you just realize how good and how necessary it is. That's part of your homework. We want to add that heavenly insight. If you haven't yet had time to, to see the examples that were given and you have the scripture that's added to them, that's what you're working on this week. And you're implementing it every single day. Everybody say every day. Every day. Now look, there's your homework to help you maximize your marriage. We're going we're gonna to do something special. I'd like for everybody to stand, put your Bibles down on your chairs or on your table.
All right, if you are not holding hands or holding each other, then you need to be. We're going to give you just a few moments, and we're going to have a, uh, a closing dance. You get to slow dance with your spouse, and then after, at the conclusion of the song, we're going to get to, uh, we're going to pray and close our time together. By the way, speaking of harvest of speech, this is a great time to put into practice what you've just learned about Abigail traits. Amen. But uh, we'll let that be for you. Guys, if we'll turn off all the rest of the lights except for the string lights. Timo, our brother from another mother, please give us something decent to dance to as we slow dance here to close out our time. Thank you. 